Hey there, and welcome to my show, The Muses Merkaba. I'm your host, Elle Megan, and if you landed here, it's no coincidence. It means your intuition brought you here, and you're ready for inspiration and wanting to manifest the life of your wildest dreams. So, let's jump right in. Hi guys, I wanted to share a little story with you on my exit out of the PR industry and some very wise words that my managing director of Edelman Dublin, the world's largest independent PR firm, Geraldine, had said to me. These words became my daily mantra. She said, the sky's the limit when your heart is in it. She also told me that Dublin was far too small for my rock star lifestyle and that I needed to spread my wings. These wise words of encouragement and support came after I asked her to come with me to Starbucks across the road from the agency so that I could explain and in effect apologize for my bad behavior of missing work the previous day with no contact or explanation. I walked into the office that Thursday, the 21st of August, 2008, with my tail between my legs, feeling ashamed and awkward, knowing I hadn't exactly led by example to my colleagues in the agency. I knew I was planning on quitting my job as wanted to freelance and had been offered a gig in Monaco, but went about it completely the wrong way. However, as I said to her that morning, what would you have done if you were in my shoes? Geraldine laughed and said, only you can get away with this. But yes, if I was lucky enough, I would probably have done the same. I pulled out two pieces of paper from my bag and said to her, you're either going to love me or hate me for this. The first letter I handed her was my resignation. I had decided to quit my corporate PR job in the city. She was shocked. I was sort of her wingman in the agency. She took me along to all her client meetings, events, dinners, parties. Not her PA, not even on all the accounts that she directed, but nevertheless, she had always taken me along with her. Perhaps it was the accent. I stood out from the rest of the Irish in the agency and wasn't ever shy. I could stand up in a room and talk to people no problem, hold conversations, and I got along with everyone. I then took out a ripped page from a notebook I had been given the morning before that. I said to her that this was sort of like my olive branch, and I hoped she appreciated it and not to hate me. I thought this could go two ways. She read it. Her eyes widened. She leapt up, ran around that coffee table, and hugged me. The piece of paper read, Dear Geraldine, Chantal is unable to come to work today because she was hanging out with me. Love, Lenny Kravitz. Geraldine could not believe it. And then I remember saying to her, and sort of doing the hand gestures, and I had my uh, left hand lifted, and I said, Edelman, and then my right hand was Lenny Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz, and I sort of did this like scales sort of motion, and I went Edelman, Lenny Kravitz, Edelman, Lenny Kravitz, with Edelman obviously dropping and Lenny Kravitz uh, lifting on the scales, and she just shook her head, and she said, only you, like how do you even get yourself in these situations, tell me everything. So we ordered another coffee and I sat down with her and I told her my story, how I ended up in the Clarence Hotel, which was Bonner's Hotel, in the penthouse suite with Lenny Kravitz and the band the night before. And how we ended up having a massive house party, hence why I didn't turn up for work the next day. My phone battery had died, so I couldn't even call in the office. Um, I did tell her that Lenny did want to actually call in to Edelman and call in sick for me. 
But to be completely honest, we weren't really in the right frame of mind. We had been partying all night to say there's no chance in hell that we can call her and speak to her in that state and rather just to write a letter. So there was a notebook on the bar at the Clarence um, and he just ripped a piece of paper from that notebook and that's when he wrote the letter and he gave it to me. So I gave that letter my sick letter from Lenny to Geraldine, and I believe she framed it, and it was in the office in Edelman PR in Dublin. Um, I um, had felt really bad because she had expressed how worried they were about me because I didn't turn up to work that Wednesday. Uh, they had known that I was going to a concert in Marley Park to see Lenny Kravitz on the Tuesday evening, but I don't think she had even known that I had um, well, on stage passes, and obviously did not know that I would be ending up in the penthouse suite with the band having a party. So they were really concerned, and my next of kin was my friend Jane, who happened to be on honeymoon in Hawaii at the time. They had even called Jane to ask if Jane knew where I was or if I was okay because I wasn't answering my phone. Obviously, my phone battery had died, and Jane sort of just laughed and just thought, oh, typical, typical Chantal, and uh, just said, no, she had no, you know, she was on honeymoon in Hawaii and had no idea where I was, but she's sure that I, you know, that I was fine. And I continued to tell Geraldine the story and exactly, you know, what happened and how it played out and everything. And we then went back to the office and she said she would need to speak to the CEO, his name was Mark, and explained to him what had happened. And she didn't really know how he would sort of take it. But obviously I had resigned anyway, so we'll just see how things would go. And she sort of said to me as well, don't sort of tell anyone about what had happened or, or anything until she had spoken to Mark and sort of saw his reaction. So we headed back to Edelman, back to the office, and I went back to the desk. It was like a very open plan, cool agency. And I could see my colleagues and friends all like looking at me thinking, oh, she's probably been fired or reprimanded or she's in trouble, you know, completely disciplined. Um, Geraldine spoke to Mark and I was sitting at my desk and then Mark walked up to me and said, uh, Chantal, can I have a word with you in the office, please? So I was shitting myself. I got up and I went to his office and I remember him sort of opening the door, closing it behind me and shaking my hand and saying, what the hell happened? Sit down, I want to know everything, with this massive smile on his face. And he had the sick note in his hand. And he sort of looked at me and said, is this actually from Lenny Kravitz? And I said, yeah, it is. Um, I had taken a photo of it, obviously, uh, which I've still got. I or I think I'd scanned it in. So I've got the copy, but I don't have the original. And he was just like blown away as well. And he just, he just couldn't stop laughing. And then he asked me to reconsider my resignation as well. But I said I had made up my mind and I'd be thinking about leaving the corporate world for a while and I wanted to just freelance and sort of do my own thing. And this was just before I was making the transition out of the industry completely. So I had previously been in Monaco and had made a contact who had offered me a sort of side gig. Uh, so I was like back and forth from Monaco for the next couple of months before I eventually made my transition and left uh, PR completely. And that's when I went over to the Caribbean the following year. But I knew for a while, as I said in my previous podcast, like I was quite unhappy, there was something missing. Um, I just didn't feel, you know, I was getting what I wanted anymore from my PR career. As amazing as it was, I had the best clients and went to the most amazing gigs and festivals. I specialized in music, so we did 
you know, lots of festivals and, uh, you know, I met so many really cool people, um, big launch parties, did some really, really cool things, but it just wasn't sort of feeding me anymore and I knew I wanted to leave. So I'd said to Mark that, um, I'm, uh, you know, I had made up my mind and it was time to go, but um, thanks anyway. So this is the story of how I ended up meeting Lenny Kravitz and um, ending up on stage with them and having the party. So I had arrived back from Sunderland, Newcastle. I had been away from my friend Jane and Rory's wedding. Um, it was quite, you know, a long week of celebrations. And I'd got back late Sunday night and had gone to work on the Monday. And a friend of mine, Brian, owned a bar called Spy Bar, which was this amazing club on South William Street in Dublin city centre. And he had called and said, hey, would you like to come around tonight? We've got a private party for the Lenny Kravitz Band. It's one of their birthdays, and we'd like you to present the cake. And like, I just thought, oh, no, I just really wasn't in the mood. I was exhausted. It had been a big week, a uh, big weekend at the wedding. Um, my luggage had actually got lost as well, so I was waiting for that, and I was tired, and I knew that work would be quite hectic that following week, so I just really wasn't in the mood, and I said, uh, thanks, but no thanks, and he, he was quite persistent, and he was like, no, it's, um, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you to come. Now, Brian ran MCD Productions, so they were responsible for bringing in all the artists to Dublin for the Oxygen Music Festival, and they had brought the Lenny Kravitz Band over to play a gig at Marley Park that, I think, Tuesday and Wednesday. So I wasn't really that interested, and I remember him saying, uh, it's, it's Lenny Kravitz, and, you know, at this stage I'd met so many artists uh, in the PR industry and gone to so many gigs and festivals and met so many people. So I was never really starstruck. And to be honest, at that stage, I wasn't even a big Lenny Kravitz fan. I remember his song, It Ain't Over Till It's Over, and American Woman, and a few others which sort of stood out. But I didn't even own a Lenny Kravitz CD at, the, at that stage. So I remember sort of saying, oh, no, you know, I think I'll pass. And he was like, Chantal, get in a cab and get over here now. I'll see you here in an hour. Uh, he, he was like, uh, we're presenting a cake and I would really like you just sort of to be around. So I reluctantly uh, got dressed, jumped in a taxi and headed over to South William Street to Spy Bar. Uh, it was a private event, as I said. There were a few of the industry heads. I remember Brian, obviously, and Anthony, Anthony's girlfriend, and just a few other people. It was very intimate. And I remember like meeting Lenny and I wasn't blown back or, you know, overly excited or anything like that. He was just a normal, a normal guy to me. And I remember we, we had the cake. Uh, I remember lighting the candles on the cake and actually presenting it to, I can't even remember whose birthday it was. It definitely wasn't Lenny's, it wasn't Franklin's, it wasn't Craig's, maybe the, the saxist, or I can't remember. But I remember actually taking, being responsible for taking out the cake and presenting it to the band and, you know, taking a few photos and just sort of hanging out and mingling, which is what he wanted, just an extra face, I guess, um, at the event. And Lenny and I sort of got chatting. As I said, like, I'm not starstruck, and I think artists uh, and celebrities can see this and sense this and it's quite um, I think it's quite humbling for them when they see that you treat them like a normal person so he kind of came over to me and we were chatting um, 
And I remember asking, you know, offering him a drink. I was going over to the bar anyway to get myself one. And I said, what would you like? And he asked for tequila. So I was like, sure, what tequila? He said, Patron. So I said, sure. Now, remember, I was super tired. I had just flown in from Newcastle. Um, my luggage had actually <laughs> gone missing on the flight from Newcastle. So I came back with no, like, none of my luggage that I'd taken with me that weekend. So I was a bit pissed off, wasn't in the mood, was tired, knew I had work the next day. And he, so I went over to the bar and I ordered Patron. Two shots of Patron, one for him and one for me. And the barman just like poured the Patron, and I came over and I gave, you know, sort of said, "There you go," gave it to him. And he like looked at me, and I remember him going, uh, "Can I have this on ice? This isn't even iced." And I looked at him, and I remember rolling my eyes and going, "Oh, for God's sake, Lenny, it's going to go down the same way. Just drink it." And I can't even believe that I actually said that to him. And he sort of looked at me and laughed, cheers, and you know, threw it back. And I think that was the moment when we sort of connected because I didn't sort of run circles around him or anything like that. I was just like, oh, for God's sakes, like it's tequila, just drink the fucking thing. Uh, so we, we stood there talking for most of the night and he, he blew me away, honestly. As I said, I wasn't starstruck, was never even into Lenny Kravitz as a musician. But his conversation was really, really interesting. I learned that he was incredibly spiritual, and religious, and I had known about his relationship or engagement to Nicole Kidman, so I think most of my questions were actually about Nicole and their relationship and why they broke up and that sort of thing, and he spoke so dearly about her, it was lovely. You know, he was also with Vanessa Paradis, who I loved, uh, she was a French artist, musician, and I was asking loads of questions about her, um, and then I know he was married to Lisa Burnett from The Cosby Show, and I used to watch The Cosby Show growing up, so I think, you know, she was my favourite in the show. So I was kind of asking him more questions about the woman that he was married to and dated than, you know, stuff about him. And I remember kind of laughing, going, I mean, because he's short, like he had sort of... Uh, wedged like boots on. Um, I'm five foot four and he was pretty short next to me as well. And I just remember like kind of teasing him about dating Nicole who's six foot something, I think. Uh, so we had a good laugh about that. And he, he asked me what I was doing the following night. So this was the Monday night. Uh, it would have been the 18th of August. And he asked me what I was doing the next night. And I said, oh, absolutely nothing. I'm shattered. I've just been to my best friend's wedding. And, you know, I've got work and stuff. And he said, oh, you're not coming to the gig? Are you not coming to Marley Park to watch my show? And I said, well, no, not really. And he said, oh, no, you should come, really. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll see, you know. And he said, no, listen, I'm going to put you on the guest list. Um, here's my number. He gave me his number. And he said to me, just text me tomorrow. And... Um, send someone over or you can send someone over to one of my guys to collect uh, backstage pass, like passes for the gig and he was like how many do you want so I was like I was just blown away I was like oh okay and I'm like trying to think oh which of my friends even listen to Lenny Kravitz because you know at this stage I was on the circuit and we were really into like house music and electronic and techno and that sort of scene but I sort of I just threw out a number and I think I said three or four I ended up taking my best friend Killian, who runs music festivals. He runs Castle Palooza Music Festival at uh, the Tullamore Castle, usually every August. So I knew he was definitely on my list. And then I had another, like, two tickets. So I said, oh, awesome. But I still didn't even think anything of it. You know, he took down my number. We exchanged numbers. And 
I left it as that. And when while we were talking, he noticed my tattoo. Um, I've got like 17 tattoos at that stage. I probably only had 10. But I've got a tattoo on my right inner arm, which is in Zulu. And it's um, the script or this really nice, uh, delicate font. And it says, Inigizimu Umafrika Makozizani. And that in Zulu translates to South African princess. So my mom used to call me her little South African princess. And then, of course, my mom died, so I wanted something in remembrance for that. And I wanted some sort of connection or tie to South Africa. So instead of getting like a map of South Africa or Springbok or the South African flag or something obvious, I got that. So he loved that. He loved the font and just the way, you know, it's really delicate. So he asked me, he said, who did that? So I said that was my best friend, Sean, Sean Fenter, who owns Zulu Tattoo, uh, which was the, like, the best tattoo studio in Dublin and Ireland. And he, I know Sean also had a shop at Selfridges in London at some stage. Probably the best tattooist in Europe. Um, loads of stars, musicians, whenever they come to Dublin, they get tattooed by him. I know he's done, he's tattooed Britney, Britney Spears, Will Smith, um, Oh God, so many, I can't even, I can't, I, so many. Anyway, so um, he was like, oh, you know, do you think he can come over after the gig, you know, to the penthouse? We're staying at Bono's Hotel, the Clarence on the Liffey. And um, it would be awesome if he could come over afterwards and ink all of us. So I said, yeah, sure, you know, I'll, I'll see if he's available and whatever. And he was like, well, can you call him now? <laughs> like, he was quite controlling and very persistent and a bit of a, con yeah, definitely controlling, a bit of a control freak, old Lenny. And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And at this stage, it's like probably midnight on Monday night. And I'm thinking, oh, now I've got to, like, call Sean and ask him if he can come around tomorrow night. Like, it just seems so bizarre to me. But I thought, yeah, sure. So I remember calling Sean right then and going, hey, Sean, um... I'm standing here with Lenny Kravitz and he likes my tattoo and I was wondering if um, you or Gavin, so Sean's best friend, who's also tattooed as Gavin Rowe, um, actually tattooed, did my tattoo. So I said, you know, can you or Gav come around tomorrow um, after the Kravitz gig in Marley Park and do some work on the guys? Um, in the hotel. So Sean was like, yeah, sure, I'll see, you know, I'll see if I'm available and what's happening and I'll have to check the appointment book and stuff. So again, also super cash um, because he's met and worked with so many stars and inked so many people and stuff. So none of us are really like starstruck by these people. They're just normal people to us. So Lenny kind of got the message that Sean or Gav would be coming over. So he was like, okay, awesome, that's cool. So we carried on chatting and it must have been like one or two o'clock at this stage now on Tuesday morning and I was just shattered and I said look I have to go I'm so tired um, but yeah so you've got my number I said yeah call me or send me a text or whatever and let me know about those tickets and if it's all cool then yeah I'll possibly come over so I went home that evening and went to work on the Tuesday morning and I remember sitting at my desk like just after lunch, or it was about three o'clock in the afternoon. So I'd kind of forgotten, or, I, or not forgotten, but like I never thought that Lenny would actually carry through with it. I just thought, ah, uh, you know, it's, he was just saying, just talking shit. He had had a couple of Patron at that stage and wasn't serious and didn't, like I didn't even think he'd even remember speaking to me. And then my phone rang <laughs> at three o'clock that afternoon and he was like, Hi, is that Chantal? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Uh, who's this? <laughs> He's like, um, it's Lenny. I'm like, Lenny? He's like, uh, Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, right, yeah, hi, how are you? How, you know, how was last night? 
And um, he said, oh, I'm just calling just to make sure that you're still up for, you know, c coming to the gig tonight at Marley Park, which I think um, the support act probably was on at 7, I think, so he was probably on at like 8, 8.30. So I was like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, cool, if, yeah, that's awesome. And I thought, shit, like, I haven't really even, like, planned this or spoken to anyone of the friends that I thought I would bring along with me or anything. But, yeah, sure, you know, um, wh where should I get the tickets? So he told me um, to... Well, he was going to send someone to bring the tickets to me outside Edelman. So I said, okay, well, I'm leaving the office. I'll be gone at, like, I knew that I'd have to leave early. Uh, so I said, I'll probably finish work at, like, 6, and then I'd have to shoot home quickly, change, and then go. So if someone can meet me here any time between 3 and 6. So he sent one of his guys down to my office, <laughs> to the reception, to hand over four um, backstage passes, lanyards for me with our names on as well, which were pretty cool. And, um, and then I thought, shit, like, this is really late notice. I've got to call my friends now and say, hey, <laughs> what are you doing tonight? Do you want to come and be on stage with Lenny Kravitz? So, I mean, that wasn't a problem, of course. So I rounded up uh, Killian and Gavin. And we, I remember going home to my house, shooting back to my place, and getting my stuff together and then heading across to Marley Park. Luckily, I lived um, in the Dublin Mountains in Stepaside, so it was like literally 10 minutes from Marley Park, so it was super easy. And um, met my gang sort of at the gates there and, you know, gave all the backstage passes and then walked in and, you know, went to the, well, went backstage basically and we were on stage. That was pretty cool. Introduced my guys to the band and... The show kicked off and it was pretty amazing. So I was literally on the left side of the stage just watching this whole thing kick off. And I remember there being this like massive, almost like a size of a jacuzzi and it was a um, just like full of drinks. <laughs> drinks and ice, like the, the biggest ice bucket I've ever seen in my life. And we were sort of just standing on stage, like drinking any drink that we wanted. I was probably on vodka, soda crayons, and the boys were drinking beers and, you know, just watching this from from the side of the stage, it was pretty phenomenal. And then, um, like, he would do his gig and then come back, sort of wipe his face, um, change shirts, change guitars. It was just, like, <laughs> amazing, Re super, super cool, really, really nice. Um, so after the show... They were like, okay, we're going to go to the hotel now. Let's all go, like, on the bus, on the tour bus. So we sort of followed them out. But, oh, sorry, before we did that, we went across to, there was, like, a manor house in uh, Marley Park, and that's sort of, like, sort of an after-party where people go, the musicians and, I guess, the producers and production teams and stuff, just to have a couple of drinks and unwind. So we went there first, and we were drinking and hanging out, and I met... Uh, all the kids, the band's kids, uh, they're probably like maybe eight or nine of them. Uh, none of the wives were there, but they seemed to be like nannies and, yeah, nannies and au pairs. But no, I don't remember meeting any of the wives or girlfriends of the band. It was just the bands and then the children. And there was this gorgeous little girl, and it was uh, Lenny's niece. I think she was 10. Her name was Janelle, and she had this massive afro, and she was just super cool. Her and I just like latched onto each other. So I've got photos with all the kids. They were really nice. And so we hung out there at the manor house for a while, having a few drinks and, you know, photos and press, and I guess they were doing interviews and stuff. And then they were like, okay, we're going to go back to the hotel now. Let's head back to the Clarence. So we jumped on the tour bus with them in Marley Park and headed back to the hotel. 
the Clarence and uh, went up to the penthouse and they had the whole top floor. So the penthouse upstairs, I imagine it's probably divided into maybe two, three, four, I don't know, different penthouses. But I think they had like the whole floor. The kids were like in one section and then the band members, the guys were in the other section. So we sort of just like hung out and drank and danced a bit and just chatted and it was really awesome. Um, and then he wanted my friend Sean to come over to do the tattooing. So I had to call Sean and, you know, say, can you, at this stage it's probably like midnight, and invite Sean and say, can you bring your box and inks and everything to the hotel because Lenny and all the guys want tattoos now. So Sean rocked up and um, <laughs> he set up his little station, inking station, and they all got tattooed. Um, I know Lenny wanted Let Love Rule across his chest. Um, and I know he's got a massive tattoo that says, across his back, that says, my heart belongs to Jesus. Lenny, what I learned and had no idea, because, you know, he's such a rock star in leathers, he's very, very spiritual, and, um, yeah, he's Christian, he's half Christian, half Jewish. He is, um, he's actually African-American, Afro-Bahamian, and Jewish, his father was half Russian, half Ukraine, Jewish, descent, uh, and is white, and his mom is a black Bahamian. Uh, Lenny is a Gemini. He was born on the 26th of May, and he was the only child. So I remember him telling me like, he had to entertain himself growing up, so he would get all the pots and pans out and bang around in the kitchen. Uh, he also left home. He had quite a hard life, actually, growing up. He left home when he was 15 after complications with his dad, who um, was not very faithful to his mom. So he walked out of the house at 15 and he lived on people's couches, on floors, in cars. Um, but apparently he finally made peace with his dad on his deathbed. And I remember him saying that he follows the mantra, forgive and accept. It was quite funny. I remember Franklin Vanderbale, he was the drummer and he's probably about six foot seven. I don't know, he's just this massive tall, cool, cool drummer, he's awesome. And Franklin had never had a tattoo at that stage, but he wanted some. So uh, he got his first tattoo by Sean that night at the Clarence, and it was on his left arm. He's completely sleeved now. I think he's got tattoos across his back, probably across his chest, and he still pops across to Dublin every so often and gets all his work done by Sean. So they've built a really good, solid friendship, which is really good. But Franklin, I remember him getting his first tattoo and Sean sitting there tattooing him and glass of champagne in one hand and he's asking me to hold my hand and like squeezing my hand with the pain and I'm just like looking at this going, are you serious? Look at the size of you and you like are in pain here. And I'm like a fraction of the size of you and I'm covered in tattoos. And I was like, just harden up, you'll be fine. I remember having long chats with Craig David Ross, who's the guitarist, who's just absolutely phenomenal, super cool guy. And um, Harold, the sax player, um, just very interesting, really, really nice bunch of guys. And then the children, you know, they, while they were still awake and obviously not wanting to miss out the fun. And um, I remember they kind of came through and they were watching Sean tattoo the guys. And then my friend Killian, who's Irish, uh, he pulls out the tin whistle and he starts like playing this instrument for these kids and teaching them Irish dancing. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. So I'm sitting there holding Franklin's hand, champagne glass in one hand, in my right hand, holding Franklin's 
hand with my left hand while he's like you know pinching it from his pain getting tattooed and there's my best friend Killian blowing the tin whistle and teaching the kids Irish dancing it was like the craziest craziest situation I think I've ever been in um, and then I remember Lenny sort of calling it on the kids and going okay right it's time to go to bed and they, you know, they hummed and hard and didn't really want to. And I said, okay, come guys, I'll come. Do you have storybooks? I'll read your story. So I remember going to the other side of the penthouse and climbing into bed with all these kids and reading them like bedtime stories. So it was just the most like insane situation I'd been in, but lovely, like such lovely people and just such normal people. So after reading some stories to the kids and finally putting them to bed, <laughs> I went back to the other side of the penthouse and continued partying with the guys and they were all getting tattooed and, you know, guitars were out and it was just, it was really cool. And, um, and then, you know, the party just sort of carried on and carried on. And then before I knew it, um, well, the sun had come up, that was the telling sign. And then I suddenly realised, I was like, oh shit, I'm meant to be at work now, like at Edelman PR and my phone's dead. I can't even call in to call in sick or to make like some lame excuse or, you know, call in a sickie or anything. Uh, so I, you know, I kind of panicked. I was like, oh shit, what am I going to do? And I remember Len said, well, I'll just call, you know, get the number and I'll call and just tell your boss that you're with us and you can't come into work today. And I remember rolling my eyes and going, oh, please, Len, like, you can't do that, don't be daft. I said, but maybe if you just write a sick note, <laughs> at least I'll have some, some collateral to take in with me. So he, there was a notepad on the bar, and he, like, he ripped a page off it, and um, he literally wrote, Dear Geraldine, Chantal is unable to come into work today because she's been hanging out with me. Love, Lenny Kravitz. So I put that in my bag and um, I hung out for a couple more hours and then everyone started fading and I think they had a gig, another gig show that night at Marley Park and I was shattered. So Killian, myself and Sean, we were all like, okay, it's, you know, we're gonna call it a day now, we're gonna head off. Um, so we left probably around noon and I went back to my house and uh, probably slept for the rest of the day. And then of course the next day, that's when I went into the office with my tail between my legs thinking, oh, I'm going to get into such shit, I didn't call in sick. Um, I'll just say that, I, like, I'll make up some excuse that I've lost my phone. I mean, my phone battery did die, that was legit. But, um, so I took in the sick note and then obviously I went into the office and I just got these, like, horrific stares from everyone and I'm still, like, half hungover from the day before, the day before sort of thing. Uh, but as soon, as soon as I saw Geraldine, I said to her, Geraldine, I really need to speak to you. Can we please go across the road to Starbucks? Let me buy you a coffee and explain what has happened. And um, when we got to Starbucks, I remember just saying to her, I just thought, you know what, honesty is the best policy. And I just said to her, Geraldine, I'm not going to bullshit. I'm not going to fabricate it or sugarcoat it or lie or anything. I'm going to tell you 100% truth of what happened. I said, I was invited to go see Lenny Kravitz at Marley Park and to be on stage with them. Um, ended up on the tour bus going back to the Clarence and having a massive penthouse party. And it got out of control. And, you know, I had the option to stay and party or to come home so that I could come into work yesterday. But... Um, you know, I kind of chose Lenny Kravitz over Edelman and I apologise profusely, but like honestly, if you were in my shoes, what would you have done? So that all went well. As I explained before, you know, I gave her the sick note, which I believe she framed and put it in the office. And um, I just thought honesty was the best policy and I think she respected that as well. Um, so it all went down pretty okay. <laughs> 
Um, when I'd met Lenny, he was living in Paris. He had a house in Paris. Um, but I believe now he's actually living in Bahamas on the beach in an Airstream trailer. And before coronavirus hit, he was touring and promoting his most recent album, which is called Raise Vibration. So, you know, just by the name of Raise Vibration, you can tell. And with his tattoo, my heart belongs to Jesus. And, you know, he's just incredibly, incredibly spiritual. He's the most down-to-earth musician I think I've ever met. I mean, I've, I've met a lot of them and are super cool, but he's just really just so hum humbling and and normal. Um, and I do know that he's got land in Brazil as well and in the Bahamas, and he grows his own food. I know Lenny's got like four Grammy Awards for being the best male vocalist, and he also starred as Sinner in The Hunger Games. Um, I don't know if you know this little fact, but he used to be called Romeo Blue. That was his sort of stage name. But then he went back to Lenny Kravitz, uh, and he was named after his uncle, Leonard. Uh, so his full name is actually Leonard Albert Kravitz, and he was born in Manhattan in New York. Um, his first album, his debut album, is Let Love Rule. And he recorded his own album uh, completely on his own, but he was signed by Virgin, and that was back in 1989. And it's virtually a one-man Kravitz show. Like, he wrote and produced all the songs and played nearly all of the instruments. So he's, you know, he's just a self-made self -made artist. Um, he's considered one of the most successful and best-selling rock artists of his time. And um, Lenny has had sales of approximately 40 million albums. So, but considering all the fame and the fortune and the leather pants and the rock star life and the gorgeous supermodels he's dated, I can honestly say he's one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. He's super humbling um, and very friendly. He's definitely a perfectionist, but very disciplined and a complete control freak. And it was very interesting because a lot of, I remember a lot of his sort of, the conversations that we had, and he always sort of said, keep moving forward and upward. This is after our chat about Nicole Kidman. You know, I said, how did you get through that? And, you know, obviously he was heartbroken with the breakup, and he just said, keep moving forward and upward. And another thing that he said to me that also stuck with me, he said, words are extremely powerful. And I guess that's what I live by now, is the whole, you know, what you think about, you bring about, and the law of attraction, and it all ties in with spirituality. So I've learned from him as well that words are powerful. And I will never, ever forget Geraldine's mantra to me that day when I resigned and I told her my news and gave her the sick note from Lenny when she said to me, the sky's the limit when your heart is in it. And... That whole sort of episode just opened my eyes and made me want to follow my heart and to follow my dreams. And as much as I loved my PR job, which was amazing, working for the best PR agency and, you know, having that exposure to, to the corporate world and PR and the music world and everything, um, I followed my dreams and I am exactly where I want to be today and I can thank Geraldine for that because I have lived with that mantra since that year in 2008 and, and also Lenny's words saying to me words are extremely powerful which is very very true and um, yeah so and even the titles of his songs are just mantras in themselves and um, my favourite ones are 
let love rule, and it ain't over till it's over. So basically, that is my story on how I transitioned out of the PR industry. And I somehow wonder if I hadn't gone to that gig and met Lenny and listened to his wise, wise words and taken, you know, his sort of mantras and his knowledge and experience and his spiritual, uh, the whole spiritual vibe of him. And then speaking to Geraldine and her saying to me, the sky's the limit when your heart is in it. And just having that little nudge and that inspiration from two incredibly wise people. Um, I wonder if I would have ever left the PR world or if I would still be there. But they both changed my life in a matter of 24 hours, uh, speaking to Lenny Kravitz and his words and you know the things that he had said to me. Even though he's this absolute rock star, I just realized, how humbling he is and he's a normal person and incredibly, incredibly spiritually wise and advanced for his time back then in 2008. And then Geraldine's absolute understanding and compassion and her saying to me, the sky's the limit when your heart is in it. And her words of advice saying that Dublin was too small for me and I need to spread my wings. And yeah, so my story today is just to let you know how I left the PR world. Um, and if there's any little glimmer of hope or dreams that you've got, and if you're not happy where you are, um, I'd say and that anything is possible. If you want something bad enough, you can make it happen. Don't let anyone put you down. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. Um, it might be tough at the start, but the sky is certainly the limit when your heart is in it. So go for gold, go for what you want. And um, as Lenny said, words are powerful, words are mantras. Speak kindly to yourself and put it out there, put it out to the universe. And um, I promise you, it does work out and it does happen and you will get exactly what you want. If you made it to the end of this episode, it means there was a message in there for you. If you want to get more from User Smokeba, then tune in every Monday for my new episode. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of my guidance or bonus content. Your experience of the show means a lot to me, so I want to welcome you to leave an honest review. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at User Smokeba. See you all next week.